Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into At The Podium. This is episode 3.5. I figure we might as well keep the episode number with the week of football it's addressing to make it just easier for everybody to look back on and find. Just feels right. You know me. I'm your host, Michael Kist. Only going to be with you for a short second here before we kick it over to the press conferences for today's show. And what we have is Jim Schwartz and Mike Rowe talking about the week three 20 to 16 home win over the Indianapolis Colts against the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles to two and one. These press conferences are fantastic. I know when I'm writing a piece for BleedingGreenNation.com, these are excellent resources because there's often answers about questions that I had during the game, and either way, I always learn something new or gain more insight about the Eagles when listening to these. So remember, enjoy, subscribe, rate, review. We really appreciate the support. And the next time you'll hear from me, I'll be with Benjamin Solak for the Kisten Solak Show as we break down what we saw from the coaches film in this week three win. So, all right, enough of that. Let's start with defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. And after that, we'll have Mike Rowe. Here we go at the podium, episode 3.5. The, the roughing the passer penalty around the league has been a bit controversial. How, how have you guys practiced that, addressed that at all to kind of avoid, you know, the 15-yard flags that seem to be kind of coming whenever, you know, a guy lays a hand yeah, you know, it's a difficult thing. Um, first, you got, you know, strike zone where you can hit him. You can't hit him in the head and neck area, and you can't hit him in the knee um, area. So you have a fairly short, um, you know, target area right there. You saw one last night where, you know, a guy's trying to bat a pass and just hits a guy in the head. You know, I mean, you just got to stay away from stuff like that. It, it's difficult. But I, I think what you're referring to is the whole new layer of landing on a guy with your weight, you know. And that, and again, you talk about a difficult thing. You got guys that are fighting 300-pound offensive linemen trying to get to the quarterback. Not sure if the quarterback's going to get rid of the ball. I'm not sure if he's not. We have a, um, you know, an increase of scrambling quarterbacks, strong scrambling quarterbacks that we've seen them get out of our grasp before. And you got to tackle them, but then you have to tackle them and make sure that you don't land your weight on. It's the only player that we have that um, for, you know, and that's it's not our job to make the rules. It's our job to try to figure out a way to play around them. I don't know if it, it, it can always be done. I think it's just 
you know, you can you can work to do it. You can try to spin out of your tackle. Um, you know, you can try to keep your weight from landing on a quarterback. Um, not always going to be possible. And that's just um, sort of life as a defensive lineman. Just like you're trying to block a pass and your hand goes down and you, and you, you know, scrape the quarterback's helmet, you're not trying to do that. You know, nobody's trying to do those things. And they're just trying to increase um, protection for the quarterback. But I think the, the double side of that is as they're trying to increase protection for the quarterback, we're seeing more mobile quarterbacks, which makes it even more difficult because you have to tackle them like running backs. You know, it's not like tackling statue back there, which you might be able to, you might be able to, um, you know, to control the action a little bit more. These guys are mobile, they're fast, they're strong, and um, they're becoming more like running backs. That's what makes it so difficult. Because if it stays status quo, you see it costing a team an important game down the road, possible playoff positioning, anything like that. Well, yeah, I'd like to revamp a lot of rules. Um, uh, defensive pass interference, illegal contact, uh, illegal use of the hands, um, you know, I mean, all of those. Look, it's not, it's not our job to officiate. It's not our job to write the rule book. It's our job to play within those, and it's to play to the standard that the officials put out there. And, hey, it, it's not it's not easy covering world-class Olympic speed down the field. It's not easy taking on, you know, 650-pound um, guys on um, on a double team. This this whole game is built on things that are difficult. That just happens to be one of them. You've spoken about that good defense before up here. During the week, what do you do to work on it, to emphasize it, both in practice and the meeting rooms? It's just part of what we do. Um, really no different than any other team that I've been a part of. Um, obviously, it's their big place in the game. I always, I always say, you know, I only care about a win, and then after after we get the win, it's points allowed, and then the things that affect points allowed, like third down percentage and red zone. And um, you know, you get a red zone stop; it's potentially a four point play for the defense. You know, if they missed a field goal, it's a seven point play. You get a third down stop; you're stopping um, you're stopping drives, getting the ball back for your offense. I thought both of those. It wasn't just red zone, third down. Also, Colts came in as the number one third down team in the league. I mean, small sample size, two games, but um, that was a big matchup. And you know, hold them two for twelve, and um, you know, they did. They have very little production, even in those those two plays that they did make. And I don't think they had one conversion in the second half. So uh, I think that had as much to do with um, keeping the score down and keeping us in as the third down, I mean, as the red zone stop still. You've a better uh, defense in the second half than the first since you've been here. Um, is that something you've looked at? Um, am I reading too deeply into it, or do you think there's something there? I mean, you know, we, and I, I fielded a question I can't remember here somewhere else about halftime adjustments. and. You know, it makes a nice story, but there's really no such thing as halftime adjustments in the NFL. I mean, as much as you guys would like to write about it, there's you're adjusting after every series. You know, I mean, after every series, you're you're updating your 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 checks. You're you know putting fires out. You're trying to get ready for the next series. So I don't think it's um, it's that. I just think it's the way we we have a resilient bunch of guys. We have a, a smart bunch of players that when you put something in front of them, they very rarely make a mistake a second time. So I think that that probably plays more into it than any adjustment or anything else. Yeah, I understand that uh, Rodney McLeod was in the walkthrough today. Do you have any feel for whether he'll be available Sunday? Yeah, um, I, I'll, I'll leave the injury report to Doug. Um, 
if he's available, you know, we'll have him out there. If he's not, we'll have a plan B. I mean, but, you know, that just doesn't go for Rodney. That's, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of everybody. You know, we'll, we'll have a plan for everybody if they can't play. Is playing a quarterback like Mariota who can take off with the skills of a running back or a receiver? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to first question. Um, you know, these guys, you have to treat them like running backs, and, and Mariota is that way. He's, um, he's probably the fastest quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, he's got a lot of experience running those things. It's not just zone read and, you know, sort of design runs. He's a really efficient bootleg quarterback. Um, you get him on the move, and he can really stretch your defense with his speed. He's not easing into his boots. He's, he's running. looks like a 40-yard dash. He's running so fast. Um, yeah, it makes you play clean across the board. You can't concentrate on one thing. You have to, you have to not only cover receivers, but you also have to be, um, you know, disciplined in pass rush and be able to clean up pass rush if he does escape, and then it adds a new layer to the run game. It's certainly a challenge. Um, you were, we're seeing, I mean, it, those guys used to be unique. You'd see them once or twice a year. Now it seems like every other game you're seeing a quarterback like yeah. that. Back to the red zone success. A lot of the guys talked about they were comfortable in those types of situations because you put them there in practice. As a coach, how much has that changed over the years? Do you have to maximize your time, go back to 2011 when you had more practice time? How, how is that different? Well, I mean, first of all, we certainly don't want them being uncomfortable on the field. You know, I mean, I think if we had schemes that made them uncomfortable, that would be bad coaching. But um, – I don't, I don't, I really don't feel like the time difference has made a big, uh, a big change, particularly during the season. You know, it's, it's one thing off season and getting ready. Most of the off season stuff is technique and conditioning and, um, you know, weightlifting and like I said, technique and stuff like that. Game plan isn't in the off season. Um, you know, that's during the season and there hasn't been any restraints on the hours that we can work uh, now. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it just goes into, our players put a lot of time into um, preparation. Um, you know, we're pretty consistent in our scheme. They know exactly what to do, and that breeds confidence. Plus, we have competent players. Um, you know, a good, a good, solid scheme doesn't always work if you don't have guys that can um, that can execute their job within the scheme. And we have guys that can execute their job in the scheme. And I just like our temperament. You know, that way, nobody panics when when the ball gets down. And I'm, you know. I have a lot of confidence in the players when the ball gets in that situation. Not that I was feeling great when it was fourth and goal from the three or four, but, you know, we stuck with it and we got, we got the stops we needed. Did John Moses have anything differently on the pass interference calls? Well, no, well, the second one, I think, is pass interference all day. He hooks the guy, you know. I mean, and, and that, that's one of those, um, you know, I mean, I, I think Hilton, was, T.Y. was a guy that, Obviously, he was a big playmaker, and coming off the week we had the year before, the, the week we had the week before, with all the big plays and things like that, was certainly on our radar trying to take those away. Um, the first one, um, he does a good job of finding the ball, does a good job of playing the ball. He's just got that contact, that hand. I think if, if you're going to, if you're going to sort of coach him on that, just try to get that hand off of it. I think he's more just feeling the guy, but the official didn't feel that way, and the official's the only thing that matters. Um, you know that was that was really the only play in that in that time that they made, and that sort of got them back in the game. But overall, I thought Jalen had a really good bounce back game. He tackled really well. He he battled. He played, he made a couple plays in the red zone 
that um, that saved our butt a couple times, tight end seven route, and um, played with great technique. I thought that was the biggest difference this week as opposed to last. Really played with good technique, played with a lot of confidence, and um, you know, I thought he was he was back on track. Jim, what's the advantage of teams over the last couple of years that have really stayed committed to the run, uh, mainly because you've been so good against it? But Tennessee's different. I mean, they're probably going to run it 25, 30 times a game regardless. Are you looking forward to a kind of game like that that, that, that challenges you in an area that, that this defense hasn't been challenged in? Yeah, it's really funny. You say, man, they're really committed to it. They're going to run it 25 or 30 times. You know, you think you think how that's been edged down over the years. You know, used to be committed to the run. You're running it 45 times and then 40 and then 35. And now we're – and now we might get 25 runs in this game. That's uh, – that's just the way the just way the league's gone. Um, I don't know. I mean, whatever the opponent does, we're going to have to stop. And you don't get any extra points for running the ball. You don't get any extra points for passing the ball. They're all the yards count the same, and I'll, I'll include penalties in there too. Um, you know, they don't they don't discount them because uh, it's five yards as a run or five yards because of a illegal use of the hands on defense. So our goal is to get opponents stopped. However, we do it, we do it. Um, they are committed to the run. They've invested a lot of um, resources in it. They drafted a couple offensive linemen, offensive tackles. I think one of them was the eighth pick of the draft, and one of them was like the eleventh. Um, they got a veteran offensive line. Um, you know, they have you know Heisman Trophy running back. They had probably their premier free agent pick this year again, Dion Lewis. I mean, they have a running quarterback. So obviously, it's it's what they want to do, and they're committed to it. So. Uh, it's our job to combat that. A lot, of, a lot is being made of Fletcher Cox playing a lot of snaps, but how have the defensive tackles outside of him played so far this season? Yeah, you know, I will say this about his snaps. Um, his percentages are way up this year. We're not playing a ton of snaps on defense. You know, I mean, we had 60 basically the last couple games. So even if the percentage is up, his snap, his snap counts up, but it's not so drastic. Plus this last game, with that, with that rain and 60 degrees, I mean, that was that's a whole lot different. So, you know, we, we saw that in the playoffs last year. Flesh played, you know, a little bit more snaps for us. Um, you know, it's just something that, um, you know, that we're going through right now. It's, it might not be ideal for us as a group, you know, as, as the season goes on, but it's something we have to do in the short term, then, uh, then that's fine. But, um, you know, I think that get contributions out of a lot of the other guys, you know, we had missing Timmy out there and Timmy's a good multi-dimensional player good pass rusher good run stopper you know one of the reasons we like him a lot of the other guys were sort of um you know mixing and matching a little bit more trying to use their strengths trying to use some guys a little bit more in run situations or pocket pushing pass rush situations doesn't necessarily have to be a run to get some of those guys out there and then working Probably expanded our um, our use of, of defensive ends at defensive tackle with uh, with more snaps for Brandon and Michael Bennett in there. What's the advantage in your mind to having corners who stay on one side as opposed to shadowing a guy? Well, I think there's there's a consistency with technique. Um, there's a lot of ways like that um, if you're trying to match guys up, there's a lot of ways offenses can combat that with motions, with lining guys up inside that make you declare anyway. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of layers to trying to match certain players on certain players all the time um, because you don't know. Like in the, in, if you just knew 
one guy was always lining up here, one guy's always lined up there. A lot easier to do. But with uh, the multitude of formations we're getting with them moving guys, just to give you an example, I mean, they moved T.Y. Hilton all over the place in that game. So he was going to get matched up unless you have three different guys that, that can play nickel and three different guys that can play left corner, three different guys that can play right corner. And you can build all your zones around those. It's just difficult to do. It's something that generally we uh, we feel more comfortable staying both sides. There have been games where we've we've matched. Um, you know, there there was there was a situation in this game when Jalen Mills went out that we were getting ready, we were getting ready to have Darby travel. But just because he's traveling doesn't mean that he's going to get that matchup. Like I said, they can just switch guys to release, and all of a sudden now you're back where you started. So. Sometimes that can just set you off your game. Um, you know, when we've played well, we've played within us. we played with good technique. We've, um, you know, sort of been us better than the other team has been them. And uh, sometimes I think you can, get, you can get away from your game by doing that. But, again, it's something we've done in the past. So, so. Derek Barnett's case, where have the most strides in his development come? I mean, we, we've seen that since training camp. Um, you know, he was injured for a lot of the offseason program coming back, but really a good run player, getting a lot of tackles for losses and playing more physically. He's a more physical pass rusher. He still has his speed. Um, you know, I, you can't judge a guy just totally on his sacks. I think that goes across the board. I mean, the Colts averaged like 3.3 yards a pass attempt. Not going to get a whole lot of sacks if, if, they're, if they're throwing the ball that short and that quick. You know, but, you know, when they did have to hold it a couple times, we were able to get good pressure, not just from Derek, but from other guys. But um, he's been a consistent player for us. He hasn't been a one-dimensional guy. He's been good against the run and good against the pass. He made a great play on a jet sweep in this last game. It's a tough play for a defensive end to make, but um, he slowed the guy down enough. We were able to get a tackle for minus one or for zero. And, um, you know, that was that was a that was a big play for him. So it's not just pass rush that he's judged on. Okay. Thanks, guys. Rolling for uh, for out the uh, course of the down, and um, you know he was a big part of what we wanted to do running the ball the other day too. Um, a lot of combination blocks and tackles, and he did a nice job sorting it out. Mike, now that Carson's shown that his injury really isn't slowing him down, how much more does that open up things for how you can use him in the offense? Well, we expected uh, you know a lot from Carson um, in his in his first game out, and I thought he did a great job. Obviously, you know, when he was cleared, he'd, he'd been practicing with us and, and we'd seen what he could do. So we felt really comfortable about him going out there in uh, week one of Carson time. And he looked like the old Carson. If you hadn't um, known anything different and just turned on the game for the first time on Sunday, you'd say that's that's the way Carson Wentz is expected to play. He did a really good job. The two turnovers uh, down in the red zone were kind of uncharacteristic for him. Is that rust, do you think, or just kind of uh, working his way back? Well, I, I think, you know, on the one, he, he kind of locked into Zach a little bit, and, you know, linebacker made a good play on the ball. And, uh, you know, that can happen. Certainly, uh, you know, Zach and, and Carson have, have a great rapport together and count on one another a lot. So, you know, in that circumstance, he, I think he, he was thinking to go to Zach uh, even before we, we got out there in the huddle. And um, that guy just made a good play on the ball. And then the other one, you know, he's stepping up in the pocket. He's got a lane to throw the ball. I see Zach coming open. and goes to throw it and and Hunt reaches his long arm out and kind of kind of gets his elbow a little bit. So, uh, you know, we don't want to turn the ball over down there and put our defense in that position. We know how good they're playing right now and, and if we can make the other teams go the long hard way, they're, they're going to have a hard time scoring points. So, those are two moments we can clean up. Uh, considering you just got Carson back, 
and could be getting Alshon, Ajayi, and Sproles returning soon. What What's the potential for this offense? Well, we're just trying to get a little bit better each and every day. Um, you know, we haven't had the same unit out there in the huddle each and every day, so we're excited about the guys that you just mentioned um, and their availability whenever, whenever they're clear medically to get back out there in the field with us. Uh, we know the kind of players they are, and we know their talents and, and the things that they can do for this offense. So we're excited about what, what we can be, um, but obviously we're, we're more concerned with, with who we are right now and trying to get a little bit better every day. On that first drive, it looked like the one play the Colts only had 10 on the field. The guy was shuffling in and out, and they were having trouble getting aligned. Are those just some of the advantages when you use that tempo, kind of the stress it, it puts on a defense? Absolutely. And, you know, we are in um, 13 personnel there. We had three tight ends in a game, and, uh, you know, doing a lot of empty stuff. I think they were trying to get their nickel on, on the field, and, you know, the corner moved over to play nickel, and they tried to get the backer off in the corner, and they just, you know, they got confused a little bit. And it was a heads-up play by both Carson and uh, and Perk over there, noticing that they were uncovered and just really kind of stealing a first down on that first series. When you have Perkins' case, he missed most of the preseason, so he didn't get much exposure to him in games. What have you seen? behind the scenes that has given you confidence Well, we knew uh, from evaluation when he was in Atlanta, he was a, you know, a good special teams player there, so he had good toughness. Uh, he's a big body who can really run, so he can stretch the field for his size. And, uh, you know, he's done a nice job. Like he said, missed a lot of time, um, but he's, he's picked it up well, and, and he's made some good plays for us the last few weeks. You guys started with both the 12 and 13 early and tempo. Was that more to keep Indian base, or was that about the injuries? What what was the thought process there? Well, we we liked that group, um, and we we felt like you know using that group would uh, put some stress on them a little bit early in the game. We like uh, we've been very successful using our tempo package, and just another way to try to get uh, Carson immediately into the game uh, and into the flow of the game, and not have any time to think about anything. Just get up at the line of scrimmage and um, be able to conduct the, the game from there. Seeing what, what Carson was able to do um, this past Sunday, like, are there certain, like, are there more plays that you would be willing to incorporate going forward, like, you know, coming up against Tennessee and then going forward after that, you know, just based on what you saw? More, what do you mean, more plays? Just like more variable, like different types of things, more running, stuff like that. To have Carson run? Um, you know, I think we'll pick our spots like we always have. Um, in terms of what we're asking Carson to do. We're not limited in any way with, with anything that we're doing right now. And, um, you know, he made some, some really good plays, escaping pressure in the pocket and getting out of the pocket and, and, uh, and running for some, some yards and key first down. Um, I mean, you think about the third down or the, uh, yeah, the third down conversion there on that, that game-winning touchdown drive where he escaped, you know, two free rushers there and, and spun out of it and hit, hits Nelson for, for a big, Conversion. I mean, that's vintage Carson right there. So um, he'll continue to be able to make plays with his feet in this offense. The direction on a run. What are some of the pre-snap keys that makes him do that? Well, I don't think I would get into I mean, into, into discussing that here. Um, but uh, you know, those are things that, from a game plan standpoint, that you know, um, you know, we we spend a lot of time upstairs studying at night and, and trying to figure out tendencies of the defense so we can put our guys in an advantageous position um, to to make the blocks. We don't be, want to be out leveraged, and you know we're we're studying their fronts and their coverages and, and all of that so that we, we can put our guys in the best best position to be successful. Five sacks, I'm, I'm sure, is a little high number uh, for you guys to like. What was happening there? Was that was Carson holding on to the ball up too long or breakdowns up front or just kind of the, the chemistry not quite being there yet? Yeah, I, I think, 
I think you've, you've heard this answer before, but it's, it's true. I mean, sacks are a product of a number of factors. It's never just, just one reason. There's not uh, one explanation that could explain them all. So um, whether it would be protection, the quarterback holding the ball, or receivers not getting open, or good coverage, and, or a good rush. I mean, there's a combination of factors. And you saw one uh, uh, penalty get called late in the game, which obviously kept our drive alive, where they're holding lane, and he's not able to pass a game. Well, he got a sack on one of those earlier in the game where he's being held and he can't get off to, to pass a game. So there, there's a sack. So, I mean, there's lots of different reasons why those things happen. Obviously, five is, is, is five more than we'd like, but they're part of the game, and, and we got to be able to overcome them too. You looked at the gate tape uh, that's effective both as a blocker and as a receiver. What kind of possibilities schematically does that open up as opposed to a guy that's maybe just one-dimensional? Well, I mean, the, the more things you can do, the more valuable you are. So, uh, you know, as we, as we continue to move through this season uh, and progress and, and Dallas continues to get more experience, we think that he's, he's going to be very good on, on the line tight end. And obviously, he's a big target down the field. He's easy to find. And he can elevate and, and make plays above the rim, too. So he's got really strong hands. And, um, you know, he's just, he's just three games in. So uh, we'll continue to, to put more and more on his plate. But he's done a nice job of what we've asked him to do. What did Tennessee do that enabled them to hold Jacksonville to just six points? Well, you know, Tennessee, they do a really good job. They've got multiple personnel groups that they use in the game, uh, multiple fronts, multiple coverages. They do a really good job of mixing all those up. They've got really good players, veteran players, who understand how to uh, play in this defense, have played in this system before. Uh, in some cases, uh, you know, whether it be New England or in Tennessee or just veteran presence of these guys, they, they know – uh, where they're supposed to be and when they're supposed to be there. And they playing well as a, as a unit, playing really good team defense, rallying to the football, keeping everything in front and making them go the long, hard way. And uh, they just they just made it really challenging that way. Um, Bortles got good pressure, couldn't really set his feet in the pocket and make any throws. Um, they had some throws down the field to make, but you know he'd have to move off his spot. And then when he tried to reset the throw, there was somebody else in his face and he, and he couldn't get the ball out of there. So. Um, you know, that was uh, a result of, of really good pressure up front. Those guys pressed the pocket, and, and they played throughout the course of the down. They, they played really hard. Mike Whitney Paul hasn't been there for the offense through three games. Is that something that just gets rectified when Alshon returns? No, I think we're always trying to find ways to push the ball down the field. But you're right, we haven't had as many explosive passes as, as we'd like. Um, we're doing some really good things, and uh, we'll continue to try to find ways to create those explosive passes. But. Um, you know, for 40 minutes, we'd like to have more than 20 points, 40 minutes time of possession. Uh, we left some points out there on the field that, you know, we, we got to clean those, those things up. When defensive lines run those games and they're grabbing the offensive linemen, yeah, I probably know that it's not always going to get called. What are the teaching points for the offensive linemen to kind of, you know, fight through that when the flag doesn't come? Well, I mean, all you can do is, like you said, try to fight through it. And uh, sometimes you can spin out of it, but sometimes you can't. And, um, you know, we were fortunate to get the call. Those things aren't always called. Um, but, you know, they got a sack out of one of those deals too earlier in the game. So it, it evened out. How do you feel like you transitioned into the offensive coordinator's role? How similar are you to what Frank did on game day when you leaded up to it? Or, or how different are you leading up on, in on game day? Well, in terms of the responsibilities, we've really tried to keep everything very similar. Um, so from that standpoint, not a whole lot has changed. And, uh, hopefully each week I continue to get a little bit better like we're talking about all these guys. We're, none of us are a finished product. We need to keep evaluating ourselves and what we need to do better and um, you know how we're how we going to do that moving forward. So I'm comfortable with, with where we are. Um, obviously, we want to do, do each better, want to continue to do things better, and 
Um, you know, we'll keep working towards that end. We know that this is a long season. And if we can keep getting better each day at practice and then feel a little bit better about ourselves every Sunday we go out there and, and, and play in those games and, and we're more efficient and create the explosive plays and protect the quarterback and uh, possess the ball, all the things that we want to do on offense, those are the things that we're evaluating every week and I think we're improving. Matthews, I guess he got 30-some snaps, a couple targets, caught both of them. Uh, do you see him taking a larger role quickly, or has he got to go through like a process with no training camp and no preseason and so forth? Well, the nice thing about Jordan is there's a familiarity there with the system, so he's not learning a completely different language. But, uh, you know, you talk about a guy being able to come in in three days and, and – uh, you know, really, you wouldn't notice that, that, that he hadn't been here throughout training camp. Um, he did a really good job, made a couple key receptions in the game, like you said. And uh, so we're excited to have him. You know, he's, he's a valuable member of what we're trying to do moving forward, and, and we'll continue to incorporate him. Is there, a, is there a, a benchmark or completion percentage that you want to see from your quarterbacks over the course of the season? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, a little bit of it depends on situational football, too. Um, you could complete a high percentage on first, second down, but not be as effective in the red zone or on third down. But, um, you know, the standards, I think, are, are pretty high. We, we like to be 70%, but we, we hold our, you know, that's not always going to be the case. And the most important thing for the quarterback is to get his team in the end zone and, and bring his team home a winner. Uh, that's the most important thing, and that's the first thing that all quarterbacks should be judged on. Looks like you guys have finally seen Malcolm Butler. Uh, what kind of cornerback is he and what kind of? Kind of skill set does he have? Yeah, he's a tough, competitive corner out there. We know that he's going to get right up on your nose and, and be very physical at the line of scrimmage and, and really try to, to jam you all the way down the field. So uh, I'm sure that he's anxious uh, for this matchup and uh, is looking forward to seeing the Eagles out there since he, he wasn't able to play in the last game. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of respect for him and his ability and the plays that he's made over the course of his career. Yeah. Right. Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was, well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to The Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.